I was practicing for six months, but here's the deal. I was practicing only in front of the mirror by myself. So I never had any feedback, no evaluation. But, but, that, but that's the uh, that's the go-to practice very often. You hear, like, hey, you're giving a public speech. Yeah. Oh, what do you practice in front of the mirror. mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Which is perhaps the worst thing you can do because you have, you when, when you're new to public speaking, you probably have a lot of mistakes. You're probably doing a lot of mistakes. You probably have some crutches, maybe yeah. some filler words that you unconsciously have. Or maybe you speak too fast or too slow. And because you're speaking in front of the mirror, no one is there to give you the feedback. Right? So I did possibly the worst thing I could possibly do. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I wasn't aware of it at the moment. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> lo and behold, yeah. I gave my first speech in front of the entire school. And? It was a five-minute speech. I gave it in one minute. <laughs> so I ran through my speech. Isn't that a feeling, feeling of awful nervous? Yeah, so that, that was pretty much my virgin experience of So hey guys, welcome back to the, the Jekyll and Hyde podcast. Jekyll and Hyde. Oh my. What's up? What's up? So yeah, here we are again today. And today we're going to, I think we go back to the basics that we have known each other over and that is uh, public speaking, right? Uh, public speaking. And like we mentioned in the last podcast, we actually got to know each other through Toastmasters. Yep. And tell them a bit about Toastmasters. Huh? <laughs> you, you, are the, you are the club president of your club. Yeah, and you, you are also you the club to... president of your club. Wait. Oh yeah. How did I forget about that? And well, basically, Toastmasters or rather Toastmasters <laughs> International, it is a platform whereby you learn communication and leadership skills. And it is where Toastmaster clubs or rather small communities of public speakers come together to learn and, and, and get some airtime and speak. Because what better way to learn public speaking than to just do public speaking? Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's something that I, think that I like to share with people about public speaking because there's always these sort of courses, right? You have seen those sort of courses. Oh, uh, learn how to become a great public speaker mm-hmm. and it's over how many days mm. like two or three days yep. and not uh, bashing and not bashing anyone who's uh, running these sub courses so if we do have friends, some friends who run these sub courses oh, like no. me oh oh oops oh <laughs> yeah how, how, how apt did you say that because I just oh, came yeah. back from Vietnam like oh Two yeah. days ago. Oh, what were you doing in Vietnam? I was giving a two-day course on public speaking. Oh, damn. Lucky it's not one day. <laughs> what does that got to do with anything? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So basically, get to your point, Jackie. What, what okay. is it that you want to say? So, yes. Mm. So the thing about public speaking is that it is a skill, right? It is a skill. So, like when we... Let's talk about... So use other skills as an analogy. Mm-hmm. Let's say playing football. Sure. Playing football, or naturally there are some people who are more talented at football. Naturally, there are some people who are less talented at football. But when they start, in order to get good, in order to get consistently good at their certain skill, there needs to be a there needs to be practice. Practice, practice, practice. Is that right? Consistent exposure. Yeah, I mean, it's the 10,000 hour rules, isn't it? Yeah, 10,000 yeah, hours 10, by hour. Malcolm Gladwell. Malcolm Gladwell, yeah, the very yeah. famous one. So, yeah. and that's, that's the thing about skills. Yeah, we can, uh, in order to get, become better, we have to consistently do it. Yeah. 
And what I will say, like for your two-day public speaking uh, engagement, mm-hmm. yeah, you you very naturally tell your participants that it's not it's not a magic pill. At the end of these two days, you won't become a fantastic keynote speaker. Absolutely, right? yeah. Even my even my own six months coaching, yeah. I even say it's not a magic pill. Just because yeah. you finish six months of coaching, maybe you're a coach in a particular skill for. Yep. Um, a few months mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily mean you will become a master by the end of the, the course. Yeah. Right. So it, it, again, it depends because for, for myself, when I did the two day course, it was for people who are already advanced level in public speaking. Huh? That means they already have the fundamentals, yeah. the fundamentals where you want to organize your speech, you know, all this delivery. Yeah. I don't have to go through it o- over and over again. In fact, I just gave the supplemental, right? Mm-hmm. I, the course was called like public D- speaking. It's like a DLC. Something like that, right? No, <laughs> like an advanced level, you know? You yeah. already have the you already have the, the a yellow belt in public speaking. Yeah. Then you wanna take it further to perhaps a black belt. True. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so it, so yeah, that's that's the thing about uh, public speaking. We can we can attend courses, but at the end of the day a lot of it is groundwork yeah. by ourselves. And that's the thing about skills. Mm. Like I'm recently, I'm I had been attending singing classes. I do get better after the singing classes, but I would get a lot better if I consistently practiced it by myself. Yeah, yeah. And I won't get better. Uh, maybe I will get just a tiny bit better if I attended a three day singing camp and I did nothing after that. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing about skills. Mm. So and the 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 thing about skills also is that when you want to develop any level of skill mastery, there's always that that long plateau phase. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, where you already you already surmounted your initial learning curve. Yes, yes. And then now you're at a peak. You're at a you're at a stage where you're not excellent. Like you're not top of the world. You're not world class yet. You're like decent. Yep. But in order for you to get to world class, it's a whole different ballgame. It's a different learning curve altogether, right? And the learning curve just gets Harder and harder to 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 surmount. Yeah, which is why there's these concepts called breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Breakthroughs, like so, very often we get a we get to feel like we are plateauing, yeah. and then the breakthrough is suddenly another surge forward. That's right, a jump. Yeah, a leap in the a gap. Yeah, in the level. So well, let's talk about journey in public speaking. When was the first time you gave a public speech? The first time I gave a public speech was when I was 15. Mm-hmm. I had to give, um, I won an essay writing contest oh. and I had to give the essay as a speech to the whole school during morning assembly. Um, I remembered practicing for six months on that one speech. Six months? Six months. Yeah, no Damn. joke. I only give it 60 seconds. I was practicing for six months, but here's the deal. I was practicing only in front of the mirror by myself. So I never had any feedback, no evaluation. But, but, that, but that's, the, uh, that's the go-to practice very often. You hear, like, hey, you're giving a public speech. Yeah. Oh, what you practice, practice in front of the mirror. mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Which is perhaps the worst thing you can do. Because you have, you, when, when you're new to public speaking, you yeah. probably have a lot of mistakes. You're probably doing a lot of mistakes. You probably have some crutches, maybe yeah. some filler words that you unconsciously have. Or maybe you speak too fast or too slow. And because you're speaking in front of the mirror, no one is there to give you the feedback. Right? So I did possibly the worst thing I could possibly do. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, I wasn't aware of it at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> so lo and behold, yeah. 
I gave my first speech in front of the entire school. And? It was a five-minute speech. I gave it in one minute. <laughs> so I ran through my speech. Isn't that a familiar feeling we're all familiar with? Yeah. So that, that was pretty much my virgin experience in public speaking. Oh. Yeah. So, well, a lot of years in between from, from that incident until now. Um, but I'm a bit better now, I think. A bit. A bit better. Modesty is such a virtue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not like we're trying to sell anything in this podcast. Yeah. Oop, oop, oop. Oopsie. Yeah, what about you, man? Uh, what was your first, first experience that you can possibly remember? Honestly, I don't really know. In fact, I get a feeling that I'm quite different from the mold. Because I don't get the feeling, I don't get the feeling of fear. Oh my goodness, I'm going to speak in front of 50 people. Yeah, what, uh, oh, I don't feel scared. Yeah, in fact, I feel excited. But then again, that doesn't mean I don't feel nervous. Mm-hmm. I do feel nervous. Right. Because we, just that I don't feel scared. Right. Yeah. For me, I sort of uh, always had an envy of people who would, like, go, who would speak in front of others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Envy not in the sense that they are able to do it. Uh, and this in the sense that they have a, an opportunity to do it. Mm. Yeah, which eventually led to me become led to me going down the path of becoming an MC. But so to me, because I don't have that fear, I don't have that uh dread. I think the first few times which I spoke uh in front of a crowd, I did I didn't uh it wasn't a significant moment for me. But what, one thing that I can remember was when I was in secondary school. I was this, in this uniform group called St. John Ambulance Brigade. And be, becoming a senior means that you have to address and instruct the juniors. Yep. Right? So the junior squad was about 20 people. And so sometimes when I go to speak to them, sometimes when I go to address them, it's a form of public speaking already, right? Yeah. Uh, but I always felt a bit of uh, excitement, a bit of high mm. when going to address crowds. Yeah. Uh, maybe one of the maybe one of the main differences there is that there isn't the preparation required. Oh, how do I address them? How yeah. do how do I what do I say in front of them? Yeah. I said things that I know that I needed to tell them and then I said it mm. and that was it. Even at the point of time, we also had to teach some classes, teach yeah. first aid, teach uh, transport, transportation of casualties. Yeah. And those were presentations, those were prepared material. But at that point of time, once again, it was excitement. It wasn't a fear or nervousness. Mm. So, but like you, I also spoke very quick. I also spoke much more quickly yeah. than I would have liked to. Yeah. But yeah, so that, that was my first experience yeah. and all throughout my life I've always enjoyed addressing people addressing people yeah yourself do you do you what do you feel about always speaking is there any difference between back before you started practicing and now oh definitely there's there's a difference I grew up as an introvert in fact I I'm, I'm I think an you're still an introvert right yeah, now right very much yeah. so so the only difference is I've learned to be comfortable with the stage. That's yes, the only difference. Yes, that yeah. is very important. Yeah. 
when I went to poly, I, I, I took up martial arts. So I learned to, you know, be in the arena in front yeah. of people. Oh. And then I was in drama as well. So I learned to play roles on stage. So the climb to Toastmasters for me was very gradual. It was very progressive. It was, okay, not, not say progressive. Progressive is not even the right word. It was very incremental. Incremental. Yeah. It was very incremental. It was never like, oh, immediately I had, I signed up for a course to get good at it. So mm-hmm. I, I accelerated my transformation. There was no, I didn't take any shortcuts. Yeah. So I, by the time I finally joined Toastmasters, I was 21. And the first time I gave a speech was 15. So it was a six years, it was a six year period of building the confidence just so that I can join Toastmasters. Oh, yeah. Just so. You just so you, to join. It was in your sights all the while to join Toastmasters. It's a, it has always been in my sights. Yeah. Oh. Because when I was uh, around 18 years old, that, that was when it started to be in my sights. Yep. Because I had, that was when I was, I had the first ambitions to become a trainer. Oh. Or to become okay. a speaker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then when I realized that I can't speak, I, I could still write, but I can't speak. Then it became a very urgent thing for me that I had to change. Because in a way, I had devoted myself <clears throat> to the craft. So the only way I was to be good at training was that I needed to be a good speaker. Hence, hence down. Yeah. So it was a necessity for me. I see. Yeah. Okay, similar to you, I also had known about Toastmasters ever since I was young. I think I was in secondary school when my dad told me about Toastmasters. So back then I knew it was about public speaking and it was sort of an interest for me. I thought, well, this would be something very interesting for me to take part in. Yeah. Yeah, because of my interest. Then, but I didn't, I didn't pay much heed to it. When I joined, say, when I joined university, I was in one of the orientations and I had this senior who spoke. He was very eloquent. He's very charismatic. Yeah. And... After, because there was there was some incident that happened at the at Sentosa, so they put us aside and this senior addressed us and you know, I, told, told us you know there's nothing to worry about. Right, you so were from because, NUS. Yeah, I was from NUS. Oh, no wonder. Oh really? Oh, no <laughs> incident. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, this part can be. Cut. <laughs> <laughs> I suddenly realized what you were getting at. <laughs> so anyway. Mm. Okay, so this sen- so this senior he because he was eloquent, so I, for some reason I just went up to him. Hey, uh, are you from Toastmasters? Hey, he was like, Hey, how do you know? I was like, Oh, I thought I thought you were very, you know, eloquent and I thought it might have something to do with that. Right. It was oh, a wild guess. It was a wild guess. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I sort of knew that there was a Toastmasters club in NUS, but sure. I never but yeah, there were no signs pointing to it that he was a Toastmasters member. Yeah. So, eventually when I went into NUS, uh, year one, I was very heavily involved in my hostel activities, yeah, such that I had the intention of going on to join Toastmasters. But eventually, the hall activities took priority. So, it was only until after I graduated, which was three years later, which I went back to NUS to join the Toastmasters Club. And yeah, it was very exciting for me because it was what something that I had always looked forward to speaking in front of a call. Yeah. I guess for me, the main reason why I look forward to it is because I feel that I 
am a I look forward to sharing things. Sharing things, especially with a lot of people. You know, I like to make this joke <laughs> with my introductions. I say, you know, I joined Toastmasters because normally people don't like to listen to me speak. So it's great to have an audience to sit down and listen to me. Yeah. Yeah. But by hostage. By hostage. <laughs> yeah. So the so when I joined Toastmasters, I enjoyed it a lot. And I also felt that I was able to entertain people. Mm-hmm. So making people, making others laugh is a very enjoyable feeling, right? Yeah. Yeah. So because of that, I enjoy public speaking a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's different between you and I because I've never had the, the interest in speaking ever since I was a kid. I was always more of a writer. But it was a means to an end. For it you, was right? a means to an end. But then the part where I really started to love learning public speaking was because I I got the first few instances of public speaking in Toastmasters I had a lot of wins oh yeah I and was that really forced yeah exactly yeah. Really? so that that's it's like Pavlov right something like that I was conditioned <laughs> yeah. to love it yeah I didn't love it inherently but yeah. I felt that I grew into it yeah. yeah and then you tend to like the things that you are good at yeah, that, that's what yeah. encouragement does so Two very different perspectives from us. Do you think that? Do you think that everyone should learn public speaking at some point in their lives? Well, that's a question. I would say no. I would say no. Many of us we lead different lives, yeah. And some it's like why people say, why people are uh, some people detest the education system. Because they feel that oh, in my lifetime, I don't have to use this knowledge. Right. Why am I made to learn all these? Forced upon you. Yeah. So, and yeah, true enough, they grew up in their life. They never have to use that knowledge at all. Last time I read The Outsiders, it was a very interesting novel, but it did fuck all for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, the, so, with regards to public speaking, so for some people, probably it might not ever be, become some a tool that they have to utilize. Mm. It would be a great tool in the tool belt. But should I don't think there's a need there. Yeah. Do you think yeah. that you, it might even like become a sort of insurance for you? Say for example, you take up a public speaking course, you don't necessarily need to use it for your career. Mm. But maybe your friend is getting married and you are the best man so now you have to give a speech and then wouldn't it come in handy in those kind of situations yes yeah. definitely yeah, that, yeah which is so like why I say it's a great tool in the tool belt yeah however the thing is that when you pick up that tool when you took, take a course in public speaking when you pick up that tool and you keep it in your tool belt when you eventually reach the best man speech you take it out try to use it mm. you realize one thing what is that that the tool is unsharpened. <laughs> You're rusty. Yeah. yeah. The tool is unsharpened and it, I mean, it might help just a little bit. Mm. But at the, end of, at the end of the day, it's not, it's not going to be very helpful. Yeah. 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 It may just give you a little edge over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great to have. Yeah. But I, I guess it, that depends on the definition of should. Mm. Right. Whether it's a, whether it's a necessity or whether it's something good to have. Yeah. And, uh, should can mean 
these two things. Yes. Yeah. And you know, one of the the most famous sayings about public speaking, you know how in the US, public speaking is rated as the number one oh, yes, greatest yes, yes. fear. Yes. But yeah. this is in the US, right? In the US. So in the US, they say that public speaking, if when they list the top 10 fears of all Americans, public speaking is Death comes in number two. Yeah. Right? Public speaking <laughs> comes in about, number one. I've heard about that as well. Yeah. So it's like at, at a funeral, people have said that they would rather be in the grave than to give the eulogy. <laughs> yeah. 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 So why do you think why do you think people hear public speaking so much? Oh I have given a lot of thought into this. Because there are there are two main factors, I think. Because the, the first main, the first factor, let's talk about the first factor, is the pressure to perform. Mm. Pressure to perform. Imagine you don't really give a shit about the speech that you're supposed to give. Yeah. How much fear do you think you will have? Not much. Not much, because you don't care. Yeah. Right? So, but when, often when we give, when we are required to give presentations, when we are required to give a speech, there is that feeling that, oh, I have to do this well. Yeah, something's oh, this on the is line. It's a huge yeah. case for me. I need to close it. Yeah, something's at stake. Yeah. yeah, we care so much. We worry about how it will turn out. We worry and we start focusing on the possible negatives that come out from it. Like, oh, I might screw this up or this might, I might forget to say this. And that is when, that is where a lot of the, where, that is where a lot of the fear or nervousness comes in, especially for me. Yeah, when I feel a, when I feel under pressure to deliver a certain show well, I tend to get more way more nervous than usual. Yeah, so that's the first one: pressure to perform. Mm-hmm. Now the second one has to do with how we, how our fear of how people look at us, mm. because we all have this inherent fear of being judged negatively. Yeah, right. So when we go up to the stage, we are putting ourselves in a very vulnerable position in front of everyone and for them to judge. When we put ourselves in a spotlight, it's naturally we think that others are going to judge us. Whether or not people really judge us, that's a different story. But we think that others are going to. And that's going to create another fear. Yeah, yeah. It can be... And, but if you go down to the bottom of it, it is a very irrational thought. Yeah. So what if others judge us? Mm. Right? So that shouldn't, it shouldn't affect us at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> it's not going to take a bite out of us. Yeah. Um, most are going to get a negative impression of us. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. But we are humans. We are prone to emotions. Yeah, we are social and animals. It, it, irra- irrational thought is part and parcel of being human. Mm-hmm. So I feel that it's important to acknowledge it, and acknowledge it, and that's how the first step to overcoming these sort of things. Yeah. If you're trying to suppress it, it's just going to bounce back up stronger than ever. Mm. Yeah. Then again, it's built into our biology, isn't it? Yeah. Like say, in the when in ancient times, or rather in caveman times, when you are perceived negatively by your tribe, then there's the fear of isolation. You may have to survive on your own. That's right. That's right. Right? If let's say you say the wrong thing (laughs) or you you 
you you sleep with someone else's partner, right? <laughs> <laughs> by mistake or by yeah. mistake, right? So some something's gonna happen to you. You're not gonna let. You're not gonna be let off so easily. Yeah. And the thing is, if you are let off by yourself, there's a very high chance that your entire bloodline is gonna end right then. <laughs> so the that makes sense. Yeah. The 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 social fear is justified in that sense. Yeah. So it even the fear is still carried forward even until we have civilized ourselves, right? We are now in civilization and we still have that fear of social disapproval. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It's much less, it's much less felt right now, but mm-hmm. definitely is that I think you look back to the schoolyard yeah. bullies. Ha ha ha, poopy pants. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, it, 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 it sucks. It sucks to be that kid. Yeah. So yeah, that's so when you put it like this, it really makes a lot of sense. Oh yeah, irrational to, when on the surface, but when you dig deep, actually there is a quite a strong underlying underlying factor. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. When do you think is like now Toastmasters? They have this age limit, right? Yeah. You, you gotta be at least eighteen years old to to yep. be a Toastmaster, to be a Toastmaster member. Any younger than that, they have this thing called the Gavel Club which is the junior version of Toastmasters, right? Yep. Where you can join even in secondary school. So, when do you think is the best time to take up public speaking? I have no idea because I'm not an expert on this. But as with any skill, I believe the younger, the better. Yeah. In fact, I think, you know, if the if it were a constant practice since the preschool days, mm. the fear of public speaking might not be such a huge factor. Like if I were to use an analogy, you know, in the West they have this thing called show and tell. Yeah, and show and tell is literally a presentation in front of class. Mm-hmm. Just to talk about something, you bring something from home. Yeah, show it to your class and tell us about it. Yeah, and I think this is based on based on my uh, what called understanding or based on my impression of the differences between the between the East and West. Because here in our Asian culture, there is very little of these kind of things. Back when we were in school, I think nowadays schools there are more schools with this uh, program. Yeah. But when we compare the East and the West, I think there is an impression that. Westerners are much more forthcoming. They are much more comfortable with public speaking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that this show and tell thing might be a factor. Mm. Because from young, you are exposed to it. When you are older, you don't really feel so, so much fear. Yeah. Another very, another <laughs> parallel to this is like you've seen videos online where you see an Indian girl see see a snake over there, she just picks it up and tosses it into the bushes. Yeah. Yeah, she's not scared of it at all. That's right. Yeah, whereas us urbanized, you see a snake, oh my goodness, stay away from it. Yeah, might bite. Crazy. Yeah. But I guess the factor, the difference there is because she has been exposed to all these, uh, she's seen the snake and to her, the snake is nothing. Yeah. And this is, so if we're going by exposure, I think the younger it is, the better. Mm-hmm. If it is a if it is deemed a crucial skill, 
by the school system. Yeah. 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 And that, that's the hurdle you have to cross. That's right. I, yeah. I, was, I was actually gi- giving this some thought. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. And I was questioning a certain assumption that I had, which was that, so what you say is, public speaking, if you take it earlier in life, it's better. Yeah. Right? Because in a way, through habituation, you just become used to, you, yeah. you get used to it, yeah, so that public speaking is not as fearful as when you get yes. um, into adulthood. Yep. Right? Um, but then when I think about it, I, I used to dream about what my life, how my life would turn out differently if I was exposed to public speaking since maybe I was six instead of 21. Mm-hmm. Right? What if I started earlier? Would I be more confident as a kid? Would I stand out more? Would I speak up more? And then I realized that perhaps if I had started earlier in public speaking, I may not be in the same career as I'm doing right now. Oh, because here's the thing. Remember at the start of our conversation, I told you that I joined Toastmasters out of necessity. True. If let's say I had joined a lot earlier and I had been exposed to public speaking a lot earlier, it wouldn't have been a necessity. Once I reached 21. Yep. So perhaps I wouldn't be as hungry to grow in public speaking if I started earlier. True. Yeah. Because for me, yeah. Perceived, I, there's a sort of perceived prestige maybe to maybe. gaining that. Yeah. yeah. Like for example, let's say um, if I started earlier, and by the time I reach 21, I'm already doing public speaking. People ask me to join Toastmasters. I say, for what? Yeah, yeah. Right? So my skill level of public speaking will just, like what you said, plateau off. Yeah. And you will have that unsharpened tool. Right? True. But the difference for me was I did not start early, but I started at the right time. And because I started at the right time, I'm still working on it. Uh-huh. And I'm still sharpening it, which I feel like because I joined at the right time, I'm pursuing mastery in a certain skill level. Sometimes we speak to people, especially when we are encouraging our friends to check out Toastmasters. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are, I'm sure you might have encountered friends who, the first time you spoke to them and say, no, what, what, what need do I have for yeah, that? For what? Yeah. And eventually, maybe after a couple of years, they say, hey, remember you told me about the Toastmasters thing? And, Maybe that's the ripening process. Sure. Maybe some of those fruits never do ripen. Yeah. But that's that's the different paths of life, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. That that that's it, it reminds me of um I can't remember, but I, I've read this somewhere before that most child prodigies child prodigies, yep. these people who are extremely successful at a young age, they actually become very ordinary later on in life. Oh yes, that sounds like me. <laughs> Right, because they they were so praised for their genius early on in life, they feel like you know what I'm I'm entitled to my talents, and I don't really have to work as hard as the rest. So what eventually happened was that uh, would be that they just again plateau off, and there's a lot of untapped potential. Mm-hmm. But you find the people who really reach the world class levels, many of them didn't start out talented, but they develop a work ethic slightly later in life. Yes, yes, that's yeah. very important. Like the the child prodigy thing that when I, they said that sounds like me that that was half a joke, right? 
I don't con- I don't really consider myself a, uh, <laughs> a gifted, but I do think I uh, I am blessed with a bit of book smarts. Sure. Because I understand I understand my mathematics, I understand my physics, my sciences very easily, such that I was able to such that I was able to ace my exams in mathematics and sciences without without any studying or very minimal studying. So it was a sort of talent, I guess. Yeah, you were that talent. guy. The guy that, who said I didn't study much. Yeah. And then he went on to get A. No, no, I was, I was that guy who literally slept in class. <laughs> and eventually I got A's. And my there was this incident back in JC, which was, oh my goodness, that incident made me feel so bad. But it's left such a deep impression in my mind. So my friend and I were sleeping in class. And my, we were in physics tutorial. So my teacher wakes my friend up. He said, Gerald, wake up. And my friend wakes up and say, and she chides him for sleeping in class. And my friend pointed to me, who was sitting right beside him. Jackie's sleeping also. Eh? And I, I was there sleeping. I think I just woke up. And she said, yeah, but Jackie can pass his exams. Can you? <laughs> Oh my goodness! It felt so bad. <laughs> but that's the thing. That's the it's thing. It's almost it, like you earned your sleeping privileges. <laughs> in a way, in a way, yeah. So there were there were even jokes like in secondary school, my classmates like to say, you know, Jackie's sleeping, but actually he's dreaming of the lesson. <laughs> yeah. So, but, yeah, yeah, subconsciously I, I was, absorbing. I was yeah. that. I was blessed in a way because I was able to figure figure out things just from. It's just like how you take a blob of ink, you are able to draw out things. Mm. Yeah. And I was able to I was able to figure out a lot of the uh content with just a small starting point. But eventually when I reached university, because that was where my that was where my uh my talents took me. Right? It took me until JC. JC I did have to study. I studied spent the last six months of JC studying very hard. But then when I reached university, I started to just do mediocrely. Right. Just pass my exams, sometimes even fail. I started to give even less shits about classes anymore. Yeah. Uh, so eventually it got to the point where on my final paper, my final paper in NUS, I opened my question booklet. Opened my question booklet and I saw I understood nothing. It didn't make any sense to me. But what did I do? I wrote some token equations in the answer booklet. Wrote, right, right, right. And I flipped to the back of the answer booklet. Right, sir, I'm graduating this sem. Please don't fail me. <laughs> I got a D plus. I got a D plus. So you pass. I got and pass. I graduated. And thank goodness for that. Yeah. But I, I really didn't... I did not do well at all in university. Right? I didn't really care at all. And... When I look back, I realized it's really because I did not have that work ethic yeah. when it comes to studying. There was no need for me to study. It was just that, which was why I didn't put any thought or any importance there. Yeah. Yeah. So that was on the topic of work ethic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and it, it reminds me because the um, I had a discussion with my friend quite some time back 
Because we were both entrepreneurs. Yeah. Right? And then there's this famous saying that entrepreneurs are the C students. Oh. And then they, yeah, yeah. when they set up big businesses, they, set, they end up hiring the A students. <laughs> that's, that's, be the the, management. that's a common saying. Yeah. Right? So, then you think about how, oh, book, book smart is only one thing, but you have to also be street smart and all, yeah. and all this. But then when, if you take a look at school, right? What is school all about? The people who really top classes, they're not just book smart in a way where they're not just intelligent, but they also have that kind of conscientiousness. They also have the work ethic. Yes, they yes. also set goals, right? They are consistent, they are disciplined. And all these traits can be transferred over to the working world. It's not just the paper, you see. Yep. So the paper may be an indication that you were smart, but it's also an indication that, hey, you have the right skill sets or you have the right qualities needed to succeed in, in your career. True. Yeah. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, education system bashing yeah. that goes on. Yeah. And I think that, uh, I think that a lot of people, a lot of people, they, we don't think too much before we report these ideas. Yeah, but when you look at it, there's a, there has to be a reason how the education system turned out this way. That's right. And whether you attribute it to an outdated system or whether you attribute it to a system that a, a, a machine that you don't see, but it's there working in the background. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that is some, that is definitely some, for thought mm -hmm. yeah but let's go back to public speaking right if someone were to come up to you and ask you for tips how do i become a better speaker yeah, other than practice what is a piece of advice you would offer to this person get a mentor get a mentor get a mentor yeah. like hider well like me <laughs> or you can go to someone like Jackie oh. or anyone from anyone yeah. who is competent in Toastmasters yeah. Yeah, a competent totally speaker basically like <laughs> competent speaker right a competent yeah. speaker so because in, in, it's not just about public speaking it's about any any skill skill or competency you want to you want to get good at you want to rise up your skill tier or your skill tree yeah. right? you got to you got to you got to get someone who has been there, done that. Yeah. yeah, to help you. Because that is, in a way, the most, the laziest advice I can give yeah. that still has some merit. Yep. Yeah. But other than that, pick up the technical skills. Yeah. Pick up at least the fundamentals. How do you craft a speech? How do you um, project your voice? How do you manage your body language? These are all skills that you don't necessarily need to join Toastmasters. You can yep. actually read them from a book. A lot of people like to bash um, books okay, they say oh you can't learn public speaking from books oh, yeah. they say you can learn public speaking from books but you can't master it from books that yeah. is a truth yeah if someone were to come up to me asking for advice I think for me I would I often take a different approach I could I would then ask them why do you want to become why do you want to speak better yeah why do you want to speak better and they have to they have to answer that question. If not, whatever, how much advice we give them, it would only have a, a very nominal effect. Yeah, yeah, because there is this uh, there is this say, if you want to if you want to build a boat, don't drum up the men they gather wood, and allocate the work. Teach them to. Yearn for the vast and endless sea. Mm. 
that's all. Yeah, and that, that's one thing about that's one thing that I that really struck a chord with me. Yeah. Right? Because it comes back to it like when we talk about ourselves, we are entrepreneurs. We weren't given instructions on what to do yeah. to get to where we are. Yeah. Yeah. But why and how did we get here? It's we had because, a good why. Yeah, we had a good wife. Yeah. Almost, almost misheard as a good wife. <laughs> it's like, are you hiding someone that I don't know about? But yes, we had a good wife. And with that why, that why is like that fire that, uh, that spurs you to look for answers. Yeah. So when a, person comes, when a person comes to me and asks me how to become better at public speaking, I would often ask them the question, why, why do you want to become better at public speaking? Why do you join Toastmasters? Mm. Yeah. And they would say, oh, yes. So, you know, I have presentations. And this is, I think this would be something familiar to you in coaching you ask them. So why is it important to you that you become better at these presentations? Yeah. yeah. And if you, often when we help them get to the root of it, that desire, uh, that when you unearth that uh, more raw root, it becomes a greater reason for them to spur forward. Right. So if they are able to answer that question, and then I'll, then I'll go into the technicalities. But what if they give you like a bullshit reason? They give you a bullshit reason and say, I, I did tell someone before, you don't need to. You don't need to become good at public speaking. You don't need to become good at this presentation. Mm. Because... Obviously, it's not important to you. Why are you spending time on this? Yeah. You should be spending time on other things that is the more matter. important for you. Yeah. Other things that will help you in where you want to go to. That's right. Public speaking requires yeah. some sort of investment in time yes. and energy and money. Yeah. yeah. And then there, are some there are some people who go through the Toastmasters program and they feel like, oh, because I've gone through this program, I am a qualified public speaker. Yeah. Oh, and, oh my goodness, when I think about these people, oh, I don't know how I can be there for five years and don't see any improvement. Yeah. And they have such a, you know, high sense of self-esteem. Mm -hmm. It's not esteem, it's ego. Yeah. And you see the way they carry themselves, like walking around. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the thing about public speaking. So how about now? Do you see what will be the next thing that you want to work on yourself for public speaking? It's a good question, man. Yeah. That's a good question. I haven't really thought about it because I, I haven't been conscious in developing my public speaking skills as of late. Um, but if I had to choose one thing, it would be to tell more captivating stories. No, that's a yeah. very powerful skill. Yeah. 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 So I realized that, sure, I can give a good informative speech. I can give a good workshop. I can give a good... I can tell simple stories, but are they really stories that resonate with millions of people? Do they touch on certain values that we all share? For example, 
right? Are they able to, to trigger genuine emotions from the audience? So these are all the things that I look at when I think about how to tell captivating stories. Yeah. It's easy to come up with the structure. Yeah. Right? Like a three-act structure of a yeah. hero's journey. These are all simple templates. Yeah. Right? But to really craft a masterful story, it's tough. Yeah. And you realize that the best movies, the best books, the best speeches, they all come from this one skill, storytelling. Yeah. True. Very powerful. Facts tell stories so. Yeah. But for myself, if I were to work on something, like, uh, because for me, I for me, I'm an MC, and I look at some of the, uh, some of the greats up there in the industry. There's one thing that I hear, especially I mean, I hear from various people about these powerful MCs. One of the things that the the non-industry people they like to say, "Oh, this guy is very entertaining. This guy is very funny." Oh, this guy is very charismatic. Yeah. But when I hear, talk to industry people, this is the, I start to realize one very powerful thing. And this is the thing that I want to work on, at least for myself, for my current skills. And this point is that when these people speak, others listen. This is the kind of command they have on stage. And it's not easy to pick up this kind of command. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a lot. Of, I think there's a lot of habits that go into it. There's a lot of uh, practice and learning to be done there. So for me, if I were to, the not if I were to, I am currently looking towards this. How to establish the sort of command when I enter the stage, when I am in front of a crowd of maybe hundreds and or thousands. You ask them to raise their hand, they raise their hand. You ask them to jump, they jump. Yeah. It takes a very special sort of skill to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I, I try going in deeper a bit, one of the things would be to have a powerful stage presence, yep. a powerful commanding voice. Yeah, and... And those are some of the things and I'm working towards that. Yeah. But it's a never-ending journey, I guess. Yep. Yep. Happy to be on this journey with you, bro. Yeah. All right. So that's about where we are today. And public speaking, I think uh, if you, if anyone, if you're listening to this and you want to uh, work on public speaking, right? I think we spoke a lot about it in this uh, podcast, in this episode. Those masters definitely check it out. Check out one near you. That's a or there's there are two hundred plus clubs all around Singapore, mm-hmm. and I think the best part about it is that there is no commitment required on the club side. If you just pay the club fees, you turn turn up. Yeah, that's fine. Then go ahead. That's your problem. Yeah, it's your money. Yeah, but if you're talking about becoming better for yourself, that's a commitment you have to make to yourself, not to the club. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So yeah, any la- any final thoughts? Hmm. I'm reminded of this one last quote: uh, "Good public speaking is based on good private thinking." Oh, hmm. chimology. Yeah, I, it's. I think I believe it's by Scott Birkin when he wrote the book 
confessions of a public speaker. Yeah. So to me, I think it's it's these kind of conversations about knowing your why, about what drives you, about learning to tell your stories. I think all these things, when you have these conversations with yourself, I think these are the ones that really make you a masterful public speaker. Yeah, more than just the techniques. Oh, private thinking. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts that should remain private. They better. (laughs) For everything else, it goes on the podcast. (laughs) This is Jackal. This is Hyde. And this is our lame outro. So cheesy.